This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today we have two fabulous guests. First up, actress, writer, theater, film, and television producer, and inspired speaker, Monica Parker, who has written three books, and she's here to talk about her latest book, Oops, I Forgot to Save Money. And also joining us is 13-year-old singing sensation, Emily Neymark, who will be singing one of her newest singles on the program. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about our first guest. Monica Parker is an award-winning actress, writer, author, and producer. She has always known she was destined for big things, having worked in Hollywood and Canada with many of the greats, including people like Sir Anthony Hopkins. Michael Douglas, Dan Aykroyd, Gwyneth Paltrow, Vigo Mortensen, John Cusack, John Candy, and Kim Cattrall, just to name a few. Monica Parker's smart and sassy take on living life to the fullest and challenging conventional thinking with her amazing humor and quick wit have really made her a much-desired speaker, actress, writer, and entertainer. On TV, Parker has been a guest on numerous shows, including Murder, She Wrote, Who's the Boss, ER, The X-Files, and SCTV. Wow, that's very cool credit. And has hosted three of her own programs and starred in a very successful one-woman show called Sex, Pies, and a Few White Lies. Love that title, which premiered in L.A., and spawned her funny and deeply moving 2014 memoir anti-diet book, Getting Wasted, spelled W-A-I-S-T-E-D, A Survival Guide to Being Fat in a Society that Loves Thin. What a fantastic title that is. She is also the author of the delightful, much-praised OMG, How Children See God. And her third book, which just dropped three days ago, and is all about the hot-button topic, Money, Oops, I Forgot to Save Money, and is hard at work on her first thriller, The Very Bad Best Friend. That sounds so good. As a producer, Parker's credits include Hunger Point, starring Christina Hendricks and Barbara Hershey, and The Party Never Stops, headlining Nancy Travis. She currently has two feature films under studio option, The Last Single Woman on Earth and Big Mouth. Amongst Monica's many accolades, she serves as an advisory board member for Humber College's prestigious television writing and producing program. To accompany the release of Oops, I Forgot to Save Money, Monica videoed 100 inspirational women talking candidly about their money successes and failures. This series will be available on YouTube. Monica, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) But what a bio, what a career, Uh, ongoing, of course, but really impressive, impressive stuff. Congratulations on your latest book, Oops, I Forgot to Save Money, and it turns out I'm not alone. What inspired you, Monica, to write this book? Well, I would say that one gray hair came in, and I had a small sort of panic moment, and then thought about The future is coming, and it's coming like a bullet train, apparently. And I thought, okay, um, am I in danger of outliving my money? Because we're all living longer, and that's a very scary concept. And so I thought about it, and I thought, okay, I no longer have time to lean in in a gentle manner. I need to dive in and sort of fix the mistakes that I have made. I'm an artist, and artists don't always do what they should do. They do what they want to do or what they're driven to do by some out there, something. So, I mean, it's taken me a long time to sort of get a grip on this whole money idea. Your book is also a cautionary tale about money, marriage. It's not just about money. You talk about marriage, denial, deliverance. Um, What do you mean when you say it's a cautionary tale about all these very important hot potato topics? I don't think money is ever just about money. Money is an emotional hot button for 
many people. It's this, and I'm going to speak about women because I'm a woman and I understand us better than I understand men because I don't understand men. I like them. <laughs> Um, but so as a woman, I, I, I understand that money can bring up all kinds of things. It's an emotional, it's emotional. It can be about fear. It can be about uh, fear of success. It can be about too much success. It can be, uh, it's so loaded. And, you know, we're now living in a very aspirational world where everybody wants what they want immediately. And I mean, never before did I ever think a backsplash was the most important thing that you had to have. (laughs) But it seems to me that that, I mean, because of all these, you know, home shows, renovation shows, I, all I can see is that nobody is willing to wait to live in, you know, a regular home. They have to move into a showroom and it has to be now. So money is this, it's a status issue in the eyes of others and in the eyes of yourself, if that's how you feel about it. Honestly, I don't think I ever really cared about it. Uh, You know, when I was growing up, not everybody cared about money. There were those rich people who lived way over there. There weren't, it wasn't as it is now. And I really think middle-class life was good enough. It was successful enough. And so that was fine. And growing up to be an artist, you didn't need to make a lot of money to live relatively well. I don't think anything kicked in until about the 80s. And all of a sudden, I think our world changed. A lot of this you get from your parents. And I know your mother was a very successful couturier and a dressmaker, and she had a beautiful shop in Yorkville. And uh, your dad worked as well, of course. And and uh, and I know you, you, you adored your parents, and they obviously gave you a wonderful life. But do you think that you learned about money from your parents or what did you not learn from your parents that you want to advise people, maybe artists or anybody who's listening and is moving forward? I definitely never was given a money conversation ever. Um, First of all, my mother's work life, as high end as it was, was an expensive life. In order to attract the kind of clients that she needed, she lived, had to... um, work in and live in a lovely neighborhood and her shop was um for uh, for those who know bluer street was there and in in yorkville and it was expensive and also when you do handmade clothing by the time you've put out all the money the time the investment this is true of any artist art takes time people don't understand the amount of energy and labor that goes into creation. Mm -hmm. And so they don't ever really equate why you should pay a lot of money for it. And my mother was not good with money and she didn't ever argue and she had clients who could nickel and dime her and she would give in. And my dad was old Mm -hmm. when I came into the world and he was a man who had nothing but failed dreams, which is a really sad story. My dad forgot to live life. Mm -hmm. But I'm grateful to him for that because it's exactly why I live large. Right, right. Because it, it was so imprinting on me. I just want to tell everyone that in this book, um, it, first of all, it is a page turner. You're a fabulous writer. Look, you know, I, I forgot from it because I think of you as an actress. I think of you as a producer, a speaker, but you are a great writer. And the book oh. is so readable. And I mean, there's just stories that really stand out to me. The Johnny Carson thing, which I want to talk about in a moment, but the purple bathtub that you found this bathtub, painted it purple and you made handmade flowers. Don't you just describe it in your own words? And you sold hundreds of them. So you had bits. And, and, and bites of great successes and, and I know sort of a crash that made you re-establish re, uh, your whole relationship with, with money and with finances and really learn it for the first time. But can you tell me that purple bathtub story? Because it was so, uh, I don't know, it just really stood out to me. So by nature, I'm entrepreneurial. I just, I always have been. When I was a kid, much younger than purple bathtub time, we lived in a very huge house in Glasgow, Scotland. you know, it was way post-war. And my mother bought, again, to impress her clients, a massive house because nobody could afford to heat and light them. Um, But my mother decided she could and got this next to nothing. I mean, it wasn't a brideshead revisited house, but it was a huge house. When we moved to Canada, it was sold to a convent. That's all I have to say about the house. But one day a shutter fell down and the shutters were this big. So it was like a stage. 
And I charged all the neighborhood kids to come and watch me perform. <laughs> five and six. I should give the money back now if I can find them. So being an entrepreneur is just part of me or an idea person. That's really what I am. Mm-hmm. And so the purple bathtub came about because it was kind of post-hippie or hippie era. And paper flowers were everywhere. Well, they're easy to make and they were cheap. You could buy crepe paper and spend your nights making these glorious <laughs> flowers. And I found this bathtub in a a junk, uh, you know, like one of those wrecking joints. And I think they gave it to me. And I don't know how we dragged that bathtub from wherever it was. It certainly couldn't be loaded onto a car. It was cast iron. Dragged it to the front of my mother's prestigious shop, which did not mm. make her happy. And there I was selling flowers and I sold tons of them and I made loads of money. Wow. And then I spent that loads of money and got bored making paper flowers and went on to the next <laughs> right. thing. Right. Getting bored is is part of my downfall or has been when I was younger. Right. But I think for a lot of artists, you want to be inspired and you want to be passionate about what you're doing. You want to be in your purpose. So the minute it stops being that, it stops being, when you stop being passionate about it, where's the, where's the drive to do it? So I do understand that as an artist so much. I want to ask you about the Johnny Carson story because it started off as such a fabulous glam and glitter and you got all dressed up and you donned these fabulous uh, false eyelashes and you describe it in such vivid, evocative detail. And you went with this friend who I think was a bit of a narcissist, a a bit might be (laughs) underplaying that. And you, and, and, and something awful happened in a hotel room, which is I think part of the cautionary tale. Um, And it's happened to all of us as women, but you tell this story in great deal. So it went from this fabulous glam and glittered Johnny Carson to you being abandoned. Can you tell us that story? So I went with a girl who I didn't know very well. Mistake one. She worked in a boutique next to the shop where I was designing dresses for my mom. Her name was Carol, and she was a strikingly beautiful and charming person. And she said she got tickets to go to the Johnny Carson show. Did I want to go? I really hardly knew this girl, but hey, Johnny Carson show back in the day. And also I was young and it was an adventure. So I said, yes. And we took a bus, a Greyhound bus, and we got to New York's terminal. And New York, I mean, I was thought I was a sophisticated Toronto girl. And then I got off the bus in New York and I was like, oh my God, oh my God. I, I mean, I was terrified. And we had, she had said we were going to stay at this fancy hotel which was called the Biltmore. And in those days, I guess it was relatively fancy. Um, it had a gold gate. So that t- at that time, when you're young, you think everything looks much better than it is. And it was in a crappy neighborhood. And so I checked, we checked into the hotel and we had some wonderful times wandering around New York, taking in all the crazies. That night of the Johnny Carson show, and they taped it early. And our bus, we had been in New York two days. That night, we were going to go to the Carson show, and we got great seats because a a boyfriend of hers was a page, and he got us these amazing seats. And so, and oh, it was the days when you went dressed up. So I was wearing a cocktail dress, a cocktail dress, and my hair was (laughs) (laughs) and off we went. And the show was wonderful. It ended, and there had been great guests for the day, Goldie Hawn, Burt Bacharach. Then... Everybody left, and I turned around to see where Carol was, missing, gone, and I couldn't find her. She had gone off with a boyfriend and abandoned me, and I went back to the hotel, terrified, with my purse clutched to my breast, and just off we went, and I sat, oh, and so our bus was that night at midnight, and I had the bus tickets. But what I didn't have was the claim check for my luggage. So I went to the front desk and I said, my bags are in storage right there. Could I please get my bag? And the girl said, I need your claim check. (laughs) And I said, well, my girlfriend has it. And she said, well, I can't give you the bag. And I said, but, but my things are in it and I need to leave. And she was, she actually was horrible. So I didn't know what to do. So I went and sat on a, a bench. There was a bar behind me and there was this gold sort of wrought iron gate. And I sat there and I sat there for a while and I kept trying to think, how am I going to get my suitcase? How am I going to do this? Where's Carol? This is long before cell phones. You couldn't Mm -hmm. find anybody. Mm -hmm. Somebody was gone. They were gone. Mm -hmm. And this very nice guy in a suit, relatively young, Mm -hmm. I mean, old to me because I was 20. So he must've been in his early thirties, came over. He said, I've been watching you. And he said, you seem to go from panic to 
to happiness and, and then and to calm and then you go back into panic and what's the story so I told him about my bags and he said I'll take care of it and he went over because he was staying in the hotel and he got my bag out and it turned out we had it we sat and he bought me a coke it's very nice and he was a teacher on a teacher convention and he said to me well do you want to come up and watch Johnny Carson before you catch a bus because you have time and I said sure and I went up to his room and I changed out of my cocktail dress. I went into the bathroom and I put on my bus clothes and I came out and he was sitting on the bed and the TV was on. He said, come and sit here. And I said, no, I'll be fine. I'm going to go sit in that chair. And he said, come and sit here. I said, I'll, I'm fine. Good and then he was up and on top of me and dragged me and it was a close call. It was awful. Uh-huh. Somehow I got away from this horrible person got the door open the chain was on Mm. and those miracles that happen the elevator door opened and there was an elevator guy and I said hold that elevator and the guy I could hear me if you tell anyone I am going to kill you so scary oh my god off and I got into the elevator shaking I went down and the night manager and I now of course I'd missed my bus and I told the night manager and he said the immortal words that every girl has heard her entire life. Didn't your parents tell you about going to hotel rooms with strange men? Yeah, but he was a teacher and he was really nice. End of story. He was arrested. I was given a tiny little Mm. room at the top of the hotel where I stayed awake all night with my razor. Your pink razor. (laughs) Uh, Your pink razor. Yeah. (laughs) And then I took the bus home the next morning with a lady who ate salami, but was kind enough to share it with me. And, um, Three days later, Carol came home like nothing. Hey, how you doing? Blah, 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 blah. Our friendship was not destined to progress. No, no. Nor your relationship <laughs> with your boyfriend. I mean, you got to read to hear more and more about that. But it's just a, it's just an incredible story. You also have a chapter called The Price of Cinderella's Slipper. Can you tell us what that means? Actually, don't tell us now. We're going to go on a short commercial break. And we're going to hear the answer to that story when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're here with actress, comedian, and writer, Monica Parker, who just wrote the book, Oops, I Forgot to Save Money. And she was just telling us about the chapter called The Price of Cinderella's Slipper. Monica, can you tell us about what that means exactly? Yes, I fell in love. Um, I'm going to give you the short version of this. I was shooting a movie in Montreal, and they put me up at the Windsor Hotel, which was a very upscale, beautiful hotel, especially for someone young. And all the actors were staying in this hotel. And I met the, so I was shooting a scene in a a church and it was a big wedding scene. And while they were lighting, they put everybody and including a million extras down in the church basement where we were waiting till it was ready to shoot. And I saw this incredibly attractive man wearing a tuxedo because he was part of this French cast. (laughs) And I saw him and I was kind of mesmerized by him. (laughs) And all I wanted to do was attract his attention. But he was off to the side and I could see he was smirking, but he wasn't having any of it. And so I met a whole lot of people I didn't want to know. And then I met him and I went over to him and I said, hi, I've met everyone here but you. And we started to talk. He hardly spoke any English. I didn't speak much French, but somehow this thing went on. And about 10 minutes afterwards, I excused myself, went to the phone, called my mother and said, I met the man I'm going to marry. And she said, you're out of your mind. I said, no, I know. And I did. And I knew. Gilles. This was Gilles. This is Gilles, who I Gilles. am 
still married to and is the love of my life and is a wonderful human being. And honestly, I knew it in the way that if, if there's divinity in one about knowing, that was as clear for me as anything I've ever known. Isn't that so, wonderful? Yeah. And, that, and that to me spells the richest, that you are the richest person in the world to have that love. It's true, but you wanted the, the, the reason the title's called that is because I it, it had to, in order to get to know him better, I took all the money I earned and checked back into the hotel a couple of months, <laughs> spent it all <laughs> time with him. So it was, was worth the, it. It was worth it. <laughs> you have wonderful chapters like Denial is definitely not just a river, river in Egypt. Um, and you really describe evocatively what we all do which is we all have that drawer in our, in our, you know, in our cupboards where we stuff all of our bills and hope that they'll just magically disappear. Can you tell us more about this word denial? Well, denial is, denial is layers deep. I mean, I really think denial is a really powerful um, coping mechanism. One that by the way, never works, but it's what we all do. I mean, I've done it for years with food. I've done it about money. I've done it about not when you don't trust your instincts or you don't follow through on your instincts and you go into denial, it's everything that you deny will bite you in the end. I mean, it is a logical end of, of the game to what that is. So certainly I kept that drawer and I would just go and shove that in there. And I forgot about them. I mean, that's the other thing when you forget and then inevitably you start, the phone starts ringing, you get those calls and you can't believe that you actually owe anybody anything because you've forgotten. Your Our minds are so powerful and it depends on what you're trying to hide from yourself. And so I think we all have done that. It's certainly not something I would ever do anymore. You spent a night, one night, or I don't know if it was 12 hours in the Dawn Jail. Yes, I did. And which you just, which you described as an antique <laughs> relic, like an old, like just the, the way you see in the movies. It was for a very short time because, of course, Jill had got you out of there. And this was just for parking tickets. You hadn't really done anything <laughs> that criminal. It was parking tickets, but it just shows you like what what money and the not not handling it properly can do. That must have been terrifying. That was just well, actually, it wasn't really terrifying. Because at that time, I had this exercise show on City TV, and I was pretty well known. And so the matron at the prison recognized me. She was very kind to me. And she let me hang out in her office and while the, you know these bully girls were being brought in. And, and, she, and then at some point, she had to relinquish me because I really did have to go serve my time. Um, my time was really about five, five hours. hours. Um, and by the way, when you serve that time, and I think this still goes on today, your tickets are cut in half. Wow. And so you're not in a... I mean, I describe it in the book that you walk by real prisoners and you can tell how long they've been in there by the length of their roots. And the minute you walk through a prison, a hardcore prison, there's a piece of you that says, I never want to do anything wrong. I never <laughs> want to get, I am never going to do anything stupid yes. again because it is scary. And I was in this stupid big cell and they were taking, <laughs> asking how many for lunch. I'm going, not me. Um, <laughs> I'm not even here for snack time. I'm out of here in a few hours. <laughs> And Jill finally showed up with the money and I left after five hours. As I walked out, the guard at the, the door who held open the door gave me a pat on my arm and said, good luck on the outside. <laughs> what was the moment though for you where your whole trajectory changed and you went, you know what? I've got to save. And I, I love that list in the book about, do I need a new lipstick? Do I need this? Do I need that? And that's a wonderful little laundry list of the things that we think we need that we don't. But there was really a serious moment for you, a pivotal moment where it all turned around. Can you describe what that was? Yeah, it's a long time ago, but eye candy has always been my siren call. I mean, I love artwork and at any opportunity, rent, painting, this was, as I say, a long time ago. <laughs> I would probably have chosen the painting or the extravaganza or a trip. And before you know it, you've racked up some credit card debt. And I racked up, and, and Gilles was as bad as I was because he's an artist too. And so I say in the book, when people were talking about all our peers started talking about mortgages and grown-up things, we're going, where do you want to go to take tap lessons? Um, <laughs> and just driven by 
driven by a good time. I mean, I do enjoy life. And um, all of a sudden, I discovered that we were about to declare bankruptcy, which was, there is no greater humiliation. There is no greater um, wake-up call. It's a long time ago. But boy, was I am so grateful that that happened to me because we've never owed anybody a dime since. And I mean, I don't have a penny of credit card debt. I the idea of debt is so overwhelming to me. That was that was a gift. It was. What a gift. do you do differently now? What can you tell our listeners that you do differently now since this all happened and you had that huge Lucille Ball light bulb moment and you really turned things around? <laughs> Um, it didn't feel very Lucy at that moment. Yeah. I want to tell you, it was like a, it was a an embarrassment. Yes. It was a failing. It was awful. Yes. And I think awful sometimes is important. So, I definitely we changed. I mean, we couldn't get credit cards for a long time. You know, it's what we lived in L.A. So somebody was always sending you a credit card, no matter what. I mean. Bankruptcy, no bankruptcy. Here's take mm-hmm. that. So um, take a credit card. What I really learned was about enough. What is enough? And I have more than enough. I always have more than enough. And I think I began to take stock in a very different way. And I began to get real. I think that that it's about maturity. It's about consciousness. Yes. It's about facing who you really are and sort of going, okay, there's a column here and a column here. You better start putting some into this column. Yes. And yes. Okay. So it's nice that you like to have a good life. You can have a good life on next to nothing. Mm-hmm. If you enjoy human beings and if, and I do, you know, what's you know, what's so fascinating, Monica is I think a lot of us have learned this in COVID because look, look at what we used to do. We used to go to restaurants all the time. Now we eat at home. Right. We traveled. We we always had to shop because you had to look good when you went out to restaurants and you went to plays and you and and of course we hope that some of this comes back, especially theater. Uh I miss desperately. But we realized in this last year and a half of the pandemic, I think people all, all over the world have learned this and realized this is we don't need as much. We had too much excess. We can do just fine eating at home and doing a little less. And not shopping as much and just making do with what we have and really focusing more on our relationships and health and all those other things. So it's interesting. I think that a lot of people in the world have realized what you went through all those years before. Would you agree with that? I absolutely agree with it. I mean, I, you know, if you're lucky enough to have been sharing a lovely space with someone during pandemic, if you... I mean, not everybody had as easy a time during this terrible time as I think people who have a partner. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is true. You start taking stock in a very different way. And also my sister died, not Mm -hmm. of COVID. My half sister. And she was old. And she had, my sister lived an extraordinary life. But cleaning out her place and getting rid of the, the stuff that we think we're supposed to hang on to in life you know, you open a cupboard and there's more and then you open another one and there's more. That was a real lesson for me um, that I'm, I'm never going to Marie Kondo my life. I, I mean, I like pretty, <laughs> I like things, but I don't need 500 of yes. them. And that's been a real sort of wake up call. I'm, I've been clearing out, I've been clearing out everything one day at a time. But that's what the pandemic was really useful for. You're, you know, there's so much to this. I I feel like we have to have like five interviews and you have to come back, but you're an actor, a writer, a speaker, comedian. There's so many hats that you wear. Do you have a favorite hat that fits you best and gives you a thrill every time you wear it? Yeah. Being a writer is my happy place. I mean, being alone with the amount of people that are in my head. (laughs) I mean, I'm not alone. So I, I actually just love sort of working this through. I like the puzzle of writing, you know, I do. And I, and I've always loved words. And, um, so yes, but the opposite side of that is once you've been alone in your head, the other thing I love more than anything, it's a great dinner party with wonderful people who have a lot to contribute. So there it's that. Monica, can you tell us about the sisterhood connection and what your involvement is in this awesome community? Well, 
I started this during the pandemic, so I'm afraid that it has actually sort of sat still for a while. It's got a placeholder, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to do it. I love women, and I mean that women are my constituency, my community, my heart. We understand each other. It's a sign language that doesn't require too much explanation. And finding, I find I know so many fantastic women, all in so involved in life, so continuing the learning process, not static, not still. <clears throat> I really wanted to create some kind of salon that would be that would bring speakers and bring I don't want it to be where women sit back and watch a speaker. I want it to be participatory. I want it to be I, in a way, I think it wanted to be like a soup, you know, <laughs> where there's great food, there's great wine, there's a fantastic evening, you get to know each other, you learn something from maybe a sex therapist who's going to be a speaker that night. I don't want dry, dull speakers. I want people who have energy, who are entrepreneurial, who are smart, who are involved. You need you need speakers like you. You want to have speakers like you because that's who you are. I just want to mention briefly, you were part of a fascinating event called Resilience 2021 with a star-studded lineup. And um, this was on September 9th, all about resilience and, and happiness. Can you tell us about some of the stars and well-known celebrities? I was blown away by that star-studded list it's of people. Quite, it is a bit crazy. There, I mean, Ariana Huffington, Aaron Brockovich, Pete Buttigieg, Hillary Clinton. Um, wait, I could go on. Uh, there's so oh. many. The, this wonderful woman, Joy Miller, has started this. Um, she started this three years ago. And because it's a pandemic, it's global because everybody was able to join in. Um, yes. And so everybody, everybody, including whoever, however famous, Alanis Morissette, everybody got four minutes. Wow. Four minutes to do their take on resilience. And of course, mine is about something. Um, you know, a lot of people are serious or a lot of people are inspirational. I try to be inspirational and funny at the same time. So mine was about shopping for a bathing suit to, as an <laughs> The <laughs> worst, the worst. The worst, right? Oh. So this was recorded. <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's so fabulous and uh I, I i could go on and on and on i want to ask you uh what is the biggest take-home you want people to come away with after reading oops i forgot to save money there's so much in this guys i just want to say before you answer you have to read this book it's full of so many fabulous stories we haven't even gotten into all the celebrities that you've worked with and and met and and living in hollywood and this just goes on and on and on but if you had to say just with, with regarding financial happiness and security, what is the one take-home you want people to, to come home with? That it's never too late. That it's never too late. You know, I, the, I, I think we get afraid. And when we're afraid, we think we can't move forward and we can't change the outcome. We can change the outcome. It may not be, you may run out of rope and not have like 15, 20 years to amass a fortune on the stock market. But, you know, you don't, we have to learn how to take care, even if it's baby steps. And I'm the queen of baby steps, you know, and, and, and they all add up and now they're just, I'm not broke. Oh, so there's a, there's, thank, thank goodness. There's a wonderful paragraph in, in your book in Oops, I Forgot to Save Money by Monica Parker. And I want to just read this to everyone because I, it just really resonated partly because of what this show is all about. Money is not a dirty word. I want people to know we need to talk about it. We need to demystify its power over us and become the power over it. That's why I wrote this book. It's not a how-to. It's more like a don't ever. But I have learned from my many mistakes. Money is a basic necessity and a wonderful tool that allows us to achieve a kind of freedom that provides us with the ability to follow our bliss. What a beautiful paragraph. And it goes on and on. I want people to read it to hear more. But just tell me what that, what was, what you were thinking when you wrote that. I think money strikes at the heart of people's fear so often, um, young, old, anywhere. Uh, you know, people who have tons of money are afraid of money because they're afraid of losing it. Um, people who don't have any are afraid they'll, they'll never have it. I think, and above all else, this shame. And it's shame is attached to it, um, that 
you know, we're embarrassed. We, we don't have it. We don't have enough or we have too much and we don't do enough good things with it. I think money is so loaded. So for me, I really want to bring money out of the closet and have it be a great conversation where we stop, we stop shying away from ever, you know, it really is like one of those things where I think people want to like pull a hood over their head and get into a bunker and no, no, don't ask me about money. Ask me, you can ask me about my sex life, but, but please don't ask me about money. Really. There's something so weird about that seeing as it's a definite, um, it's a, a thing that we need. We have to put food on the table. You know, even if you don't have a lot of money, we need basic necessities. Money is a tool. There's no getting away from it. We'd like to get away from it, but why? We have to embrace it. I bet the answer to my next question has changed because it, because I, I sense that you have transformed so much. What is bliss for Monica Parker? Oh, trees, a forest, uh, a, a cathedral of trees. I mean, that is my that is my church, my synagogue, my place. I am happiest when I'm in nature, for sure. So lovely. I can so relate to that. What is the best way for people to contact you, Monica, and connect with you on social media? And of course, to get a copy of your book, Oops, I Forgot to Save Money. Well, to get a copy of the book is easy because it's going to, it's on every platform, every online platform. So you rush out now and <laughs> um, order that and, um, and enjoy it because it's not actually a sad book. It's a funny book. And I mean, it's, it's got its moments of pain, but I think it's funny. Um, and to get in touch with me, I think in the back of the book, there is an email, but I can tell you what it is. It's Monica, um, Monica Parker at media.com. And what about your Instagram? Why don't you just give us your Instagram, your Facebook, so people can follow you and. Okay. So my Instagram, I believe is Monica Parker. How creative of me. <laughs> um, I, I believe my Facebook is Monica Parker. Again, um, my, awesome. my website is www.iammonicaparker.com. I, I didn't really go crazy on that. I think you did really well. We, 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 that's the best way to remember. It's Monica Parker everywhere. So that's guys, right. look, All the look time. out for that. And, and the book, of course, Oops, I Forgot to Save Money. And it turns out I'm Not Alone by Monica Parker is sold in all places where uh, books are sold, Amazon and everywhere. So I want to thank you so much, Monica. It was really great having you on the show today. I wish it could have been longer. And this book is very funny and it's a page turner and I loved it. And I know that people are really going to enjoy it. So way to go. Like, congratulations. Thank you. This has been so much fun. and Let's do it again. <laughs> I'd love that. I'd love you to come back. Absolutely. You're always welcome. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Finding Your Bliss. And we come back with our featured artist, Emily Namark, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740 FM 96.7. And we're now joined by the super talented 13-year-old singer-songwriter Emily Namark. Emily is a very busy 13-year-old quadruple threat and recording artist in Toronto and Nashville. Emily's love for singing started when she was a toddler. However, it became more apparent at seven years old when her love for musical theater started and led her to be in eight musicals ever since. She has played leading roles in such plays as Rent, Wow, Grease, and Beauty and the Beast, just to name a few. When it comes to her passion for singing, she also continues to cover songs on her social media. Her rich and soulful powerhouse voice is gaining lots of attention on her Instagram, which is at Emily Namark Music. And I'll tell you more about that at the end of the show. And although she wants to create her own sound, she's often compared to singers like Adele, 
Demi Lovato, and Lady Gaga. In 2020, Emily was invited to perform the national anthem at the Rena Rumble fundraiser. That's so amazing. And as well, in 2019, she performed on stage in a one-hour solo performance at the UJA Walk with Israel. Emily often accompanies herself by playing the piano and guitar. And I just want to remind you all what I said off the top. This girl is only 13 years old. So in addition to singing and acting, Emily has been in competitive hip hop for the last four years and really enjoys dancing on stage as well. She has already had four original songs produced, two of which will be released this coming fall, 2021, and can be found on her social media platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music. She is currently working on more music, so stay tuned for an upcoming EP in 2022. And of course, stay tuned because in just a few moments, Emily is going to be singing one of her newest songs. Emily, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Of course. Emily, you've been performing since you were very young, and I know you've done many shows with vocal coach and musical theater director Alex Moses, who really discovered you. Did you always know that you loved to sing? And what is your first memory of being on stage? Of course, I started off in musical theater, so that was great. And that's how I actually met Alex Moses. And my first memory of being on stage was my first play was actually Frozen in the second grade. I was the narrator and some other character I can't really remember, but it was a lot of fun. It was my first time ever being on stage. Amazing. Amazing. You have a gorgeous voice and I can even hear it in your, in your speaking voice that you have like a wonderful timbre and a wonderful tone even. And I, I have heard you sing and you're unbelievable. I'm so excited to share it with our listeners, but I wanted to ask you, How did this musical theater singing and career evolve into singing pop? And can you tell us how this sort of went from a fun thing to do as a kid to really becoming a professional recording artist? Performing in musical theater was how I first got introduced to Alex Moses. And I started doing lessons with him. He eventually brought me out of my shell. He really believed in me. We started just singing songs together, practicing them. And it eventually ended up being getting serious and here I am now. <laughs> so <laughs> That's so funny. You even have a Christmas song that I love that I saw, I think somewhere on YouTube or on Instagram. And just can you tell us about that? Cause that's where I really first noticed you, my daughter and I, and my daughter's also a singer. Mm-hmm. And we just sort of went, wow, this girl is fantastic. Thank you so much. It's where you Christmas by Faith Hill. Um, I really love that song. We just, thinking what Christmas song to do. And that first Christmas song just came up to my head and I'm like, Oh my God, let's perform this. Let's record this and post it on YouTube. So we did that. That's awesome. That's so cool. Can you tell us about Nashville and how that all happened? That's pretty cool for a young girl to be performing in Nashville. Like, wow. How did that all evolve? First of all, I never thought I'd be recording in Nashville. Like that did not fly by my head. So you know, we're, (laughs) When I, when my mom told me that we'd be going to Nashville to record with this well-known producer by the name of Mark Bright, we we got there. I met him once, and then I went back home, and then we went back to record uh, two songs. One of them is not released yet, and the other one is worth it. And we recorded it, produced it. It was incredible experience. Like one of my first my first time in a real studio, and it was so much fun. Had best week, best week. Oh. That sounds phenomenal. And you just came back from LA. You were in LA for a couple of weeks. Was that a work-related or a fun-related thing? It was a fun-related thing, but it was so (laughs) incredible to see people, especially after over a year of being in lockdown. It was just nice to see people having fun on the streets or on the boardwalk, on their bikes, at the beach. It was so nice. I know it's like life, isn't it? It's like renewal and it's it's such a good feeling and it's so awesome. I know you hear this all the time. And even though we know you're 13 years old, we can't believe that voice is Mm -hmm. coming out of such a young girl. It's as if you've been doing this forever. What do you love the most about singing and performing? I love connecting to people, whether it's in the lyrics of the song, in the meaning and just the way I present the song, whether it's just cover on stage, it's amazing. And I love um, with my original songs, because especially Worth It, it's such a relatable song to any almost anybody. And 
I feel like if people have insecurities or whatever they might feel that they might not feel as comfortable or just to know that you're worth it. So it's great. You're so right. That's something that a 13-year-old to a 90-year-old can appreciate and relate to. And it's such a beautiful song. Tell me a little more about your inspiration for writing the song Worth It and how it all came together. So Worth It was actually written by this very talented songwriter, Addie Prado. Um, She's from Nashville. The lyrics, every lyrics is just like, I'll climb the mountain high because I know where I stand. It's just so meaningful and i've actually seen these girls on tiktok they were going around in their car talking to people and just giving out random compliments to strangers and honestly i feel like doing that myself just going in a car driving around even though i'm 13 <laughs> and just giving compliments to people saying like you know you're worth it you're worth it just spreading positivity i feel like that's so important i'm gonna ask you this question i have a feeling i maybe know part of the answer but what is bliss for emily namark I feel like finding out who you are as a person, even if it takes time to, you know, really find out who you are or who you want to be. And I feel like that's really important. Even if it takes 10 years, five years, like a few hours, honestly, (laughs) at least to know who you are as a person. Well, I think you're making a difference in this world, Emily Namark. I do. And I have to tell you, I'm, I'm so excited for our listeners. Let's have a listen right now to Worth It by Emily Namark. Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. Wow, that was so fantastic. I mean, I've I've actually heard this song about, I don't know, 10 (laughs) times and I really love it. Congratulations. Your voice is so beautiful and so powerful and it's just gorgeous. What do you have coming up that you'd love to share with our audience? Like things that we can look forward to seeing you and hearing you do. I have two new songs coming out this fall. So I'm super excited for that. And I've actually been working and slowly writing a few songs, like a mini EP for next year, 2022. I look forward to seeing what what happens in the future. (laughs) Will you come back when your EP is here and tell us all about and we'll play a couple of tracks from it? Of course, of course. That would be great. That would be so (laughs) fantastic. What is a 13-year-old girl who is doing so many great things, writing and singing and performing and doing dance and like really being a quadruple threat and writing music. And you also play all these instruments. Like it's amazing. So I I was going to say, what do you do for fun? Like just, I guess that all is fun, but just like total 13-year-old stuff. One of my favorite things to do is lying in my bed, putting headphones on and watching a great TV show or movie. I love doing that. I feel connected to so many characters and I just feel like in a whole different world. I predict that's going to be the next thing is you're going to be on that TV show on Netflix (laughs) and you're going to be having uh, just adding and adding layers to this career because you're really super talented and you're also just seem like a wonderful person. So, so great to have you. What is the best way for people to contact you, Emily, and connect with you on social media? So you can check out my Instagram. It's Emily Namark Music. And I have a link in my bio that will lead to all my other social social media platforms um, like TikTok, Spotify, and YouTube. She's being very modest because I know that you have so many followers. Like for a girl of your age, is like crazy, like very, very up there and so worth it. So check out Emily Namark. And to spell that, it's E-M-I-L-I-E, Namark, N-A-I-M-A-R-K. And your Instagram handle is? Emily Namark Music. Awesome. That's so fantastic. I want to thank you so much for being on our show today. It was really great having you. It was so amazing. Nice to meet you, Judy. Great to meet you as well. Each week, we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or musician on the show. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. And if you're an author, artist, writer, or anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach. If I can help you in any way, let me know. You can reach out and get in touch with me at findingyourbliss.com 
slash coaching. And of course, you can follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank all of my guests, Monica Parker and Emily Namark for being on the show today. And thank you to Mag Ruffman, producer Siobhan Kylie, senior editor Haley Allegia, intern Lauren Kaminsky, and audio producer Faz Kazi. And of course, a very big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center, and also to everyone here at Zoomer. This show has been recorded by Squadcast. We're going to close out the show today with a short meditation all about change and transition. Change and transitions are a big part of our lives. All of the seasons bring about change and transformation. The summer trees of green turn into burnt oranges and crimson reds as we transition into fall. And the new school year is also one of transition. And even the fact that many of us have been living in a virtual online environment for so long now, and we're just beginning slowly to enter back into the world at large, and that brings with it all kinds of changes. And while change can be exciting and is a part of our experience as human beings, it can really help when we move through these changes with mindfulness. And so let's begin this meditation by going into our fourth chakra, the heart space. And to do this, just place your hands on your heart now and know that many of the best answers lie right here. So leaving the head and moving to the heart now, let's all begin by taking in a deep cleansing breath. Breathing in calm, serenity and comfort. Breathing in kindness and love, compassion and breathing in peaceful, comforting thoughts, breathing in all good things. And as you breathe out, feel a sense of love and compassion and deep relaxation washing all over you more and more. Once again, breathe in calm, breathe in ease and relaxation. And breathe out, spreading that relaxation all over your body, feeling comfortable and at ease, and knowing that all will be well. Even though you may be transitioning from home to university, or summer to fall, one environment to another, change always happens. But you are the constant. You can always come back to the sanctuary of your own meditation and your own breath to recharge, regroup, and realign yourself. The breath is always a constant. Let's do one final inhale. Right in. Pause at the top. Hold it for a moment. And then let it all go in one nice, beautiful exhale, feeling calm and centered and bathed in light and love. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you always to come back to the breath and take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.